0: Well hey first church, so glad you guys are here. And as you as your host just mentioned, if you're at one of our campuses, we have people right now on the way to Mexico, also already in Haiti that are serving across this world, introducing people to Jesus, showing the love of Jesus. So we're just so excited that our church is reaching out in that way. But also we have family meeting right now at Verdigris and Stone Canyon, our campus is there. So if you guys are here if you would put your hands together, let's welcome them to our conversation around God's word. now I don't know about you but I'm not a big fan of buffets you know like buffets at a restaurant I'm just not a huge fan of them and it's not because I eat too much and it's also uh, not because it's not good food necessarily I just don't like buffets because I'm a little bit little bit of a germaphobe and I'm not sure who has gone down the line before me you know what I'm talking about I'm not sure what's been sneezed on or touched or breathed upon and so I'm a little bit of a germaphobe and I'm just kinda leery of buffets and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about somebody sent me a video not too long ago that I think makes my point very well take a look at this little kid in this video on the screen and obviously he was going down the buffet line and he got a little bit excited See if we can show that video. There we go. And as you can see, he got a little bit excited about cake. And it was right there at eye level, and he just couldn't resist, you know? Just couldn't say no to it. I love that kid. I just feel sorry for the person that comes along after him and doesn't realize, you know, what has just happened. And he has to have a piece of cake that's got that little boy slobber all over it. But... You know, I love that little kid because I'm sure someone told him, he can't have cake yet, it's not time for dessert, don't touch it, don't get a piece of cake. So he didn't grab a plate, he didn't grab the cake, but he just couldn't say no. I want to start off today by asking two questions. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. The first one is this, what am I saying yes to that I shouldn't be? And then the second question is, what am I saying no to when I should be saying yes and that second question is really what I want to focus on this morning because in our culture today when it comes to the church what comes to mind basically is a list of do not do's, you guys know what I'm talking about, for many people when they think of Christianity, when they think of the church what comes to mind is a do not do list, a thou shall not list. Christianity is all about not doing certain things. You know, I'm a good Christian because I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew or go with girls that do. That's what makes me a good Christian. Uh, There's an older gentleman I used to know who said that all the time when he was a boy. That's what he thought, that good Christian people are those who didn't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew or go with girls that do. I, I love that. But, you know, for a lot of people, being a Christian, following Jesus, is just all about sin avoidance. They see God as this great referee up in the sky who's just watching us, waiting to blow his whistle and call us out whenever we sin. And so our whole job on the earth is just to make sure that we do everything we can for God not to blow his whistle. Now, don't misunderstand me. Part of following Jesus is changing your lifestyle so that you leave your life of sin and become more and more like him. You go through a transformation so that you leave certain behaviors behind once you start following Jesus. But here's the thing, you can avoid all the things on the do not do list, you can avoid all the things on God's thou shalt not list and still not be living at His will, His purpose for your life. Jamie Snyder in his book, Thou Shall, writes these words, listen carefully, it's possible to live a very religious life even avoiding the things on the thou shalt not list and still fall short of fulfilling God's mission and purpose. Therefore, being holy or reflecting the nature and character of God is not just about avoiding certain behaviors that are called sin, it is very much about doing certain things. In other words, the Christian life is far less about passivity than it is about activity. This call from a passive faith to a faith defined by activity Is simply a reflection of the nature and character of God. Following Jesus isn't just about avoiding certain sins. That's part of it. But it's also about actively carrying out His will and His purpose for your life. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 10, "...for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works." Paul is letting us know that we weren't just saved to avoid sin, we were also saved to do good works, to do good in this world, to do good for the cause of Christ. And as we do good and Jesus works through us, we influence our world and we change people's lives. But if you let me be transparent with you just for a second, it took me a while to get this. It took me a while to understand this, even after I accepted Jesus. Because I didn't quite understand that Jesus needed to be both the Savior and the Lord of my life. Let me illustrate it this way. When I first accepted Jesus, I knew I needed a Savior. I knew that I needed someone to rescue me from my sin. I knew I needed someone to deliver me from the punishment of my sin. I knew I needed a Savior. I had messed up. I had rebelled against God. I had sinned. I knew that I was isolated from God, so I needed someone to save me. I got that. I understood that part. I needed the forgiveness of my sins. I needed God's grace. But even though I said that I was also accepting Jesus as the Lord of my life, I don't think I fully understood what that meant. Because, you see, to accept Jesus as Lord means that you're going to let Him lead. You're going to let Him direct your life. You're going to let Him be in charge. You're going to let Him take control. Letting Jesus be the Lord of your life means, Hey, Jesus, you lead, and I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. You lead, and I'm going to follow. Now, the problem with a lot of people is they're fine with Jesus as Savior. They want somebody to rescue them. They want someone to save them. But Lord, they don't quite understand what that means. Or if they do understand what it means, they're not sure if that's what they want. They want someone to rescue them, but change their lifestyle, lead them in a a different direction? Well, that's a different story. And yet the Bible teaches that in order to have a healthy relationship with Jesus, we have to relate to Him as both Savior and Lord. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18. Now remember, he's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to people who are already part of the church. And look at what he says. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word grow in Greek is in the ongoing tense. Meaning he's writing to Christian people. He's writing to people who are already part of the church. And he's saying, continue to grow In your relationship with Christ, and that means continue to grow in knowing Him as both Savior and Lord. This is how you have a healthy relationship with Him. And there's a reason why we need to relate to Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Because relating Him as Savior, well, there are certain rewards that come along, rewards that come along with that. You know, like I just mentioned, the forgiveness of sins and God's grace, His favor upon your life. You know that you have the promise of heaven, so you get to escape the punishment of hell. I mean, there are great rewards that come along with knowing Jesus as Savior. And basically what that means is we're saved from something. We're saved from sin. We're saved from the consequences and punishment of sin. We're saved from our isolation from God. We're saved from our isolation from God's people. We're saved from something, and when you really start to comprehend this and understand what all this means, it humbles you, it leads to humility, to the point that you think, man, I don't don't deserve this, there's no way I could have ever done anything to earn this, this is a great gift from God, so it humbles your spirit. But then, as you accept Jesus as Lord, or you relate to Him as Lord, you also understand that with that relationship comes responsibility. Not just reward, but also responsibility. In other words, Jesus' purpose becomes the purpose of your life. Jesus' plan becomes your plan. His mission becomes your mission. You're saved for something, not just from something, but also for something. You're saved for the purpose, as we just read a second ago, The purpose of carrying out good works, doing good for the sake of Christ in this world. We represent Him in this world. And so that makes us hungry because we understand what's at stake. When it comes to our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our co workers, whoever, we understand what's at stake if we don't live out our responsibility. We know that people will remain isolated from God. People will continue to remain in their sin, continue to be broken, continue to go down a path that God doesn't want them to go down, continue to be headed towards a destiny that they don't want to be headed toward. We understand what's at stake, and so we're hungry, one, to allow the life that Jesus has given us to grow within us, but also to share it with others. When you understand Jesus as both Savior and Lord, when you relate to Him as both Savior and Lord, you understand you're here for a purpose. That God wants to work in you and through you to make a difference in this world. To make a difference in people's lives. In Matthew chapter 28... The great commission of Jesus is recorded. You've probably heard it before. Jesus says these words before He ascends into heaven, and He gives this commission to His apostles, the disciples, but they're to pass that on to us. And listen to what He says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, that's a boss statement. That's Jesus saying, I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm the one that is holding the universe, the cosmos, in my hands. That's a boss statement. And then after he says that, he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. As the one who's in charge, this is what I want you to do. Go out and make disciples. Make more followers. Teach people how to live the life that I've given to you." In other words, Jesus here is saying, I want you to take the life I've multiplied in you and multiply it in others. Guys, that's why we're here. That's our responsibility. That's our job. That's our calling. Someone introduced me not too long ago to a website called You Only Had One Job. And basically, people post on this website pictures of others who failed at the one responsibility or the one task that they were given. Like, for instance, this picture of a football field. Someone was supposed to paint the logo at midfield of the team, but apparently midfield is up for discussion in Minnesota because they missed the 50-yard line, if you can't tell. Or maybe this next picture of a back-to-school display. I mean, we want our kids to have pencils and crayons, but knives are a lot more fun. Uh, Not really. Obviously, somebody failed big time. Or what about this door in front of a Target store? It plainly says at the very top, do not enter, but then right underneath it, enter only. I mean, what do they want you to do? Go in or not go in? The woman who posted this online said, I had no idea what to do. I stood there for hours wondering what to do. I'm not sure if she really did that, but that's what she said. You only had one job. See, Jesus has given us a simple job description, a single primary focus. We are to take the life that he's multiplied in us and multiply it in others. Jesus expects us to take the life that he's given us and give it away. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the church. When I say the church, what I'm talking about is not a building, And I'm not talking about some tradition of men or some organization or institution that's run by men. When I talk about the church, I'm talking about the community of faith, the community of believers that Jesus is the head of. And I don't know how you see the church, but I know how Jesus sees it. Jesus designed the church to be the greatest force for good on the face of the planet. We are God's chosen instrument for introducing the world to His love, his grace, and his purpose. And Jesus has not only given us this responsibility, he expects us to carry it out and I think we see this very plainly in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, want to go and turn there with me? That's where we're going to study today. And John chapter 17 is a very unique passage of Scripture because it records the only full prayer of Jesus that we have. And in John chapter 17, Jesus prays to His heavenly Father. And this prayer is offered just hours before Jesus is arrested, just a little bit before He's going to go to the cross. Jesus is praying in the garden. And what's interesting is... As Jesus prays to his heavenly Father, he first of all prays for himself. And we understand why he does this. He's going to go to the cross. I mean, that's a big deal. So Jesus prays for himself. Then in the next section of this prayer, he then prays for his 12 disciples, the apostles, as we would later call them, who were going to be the first to take the gospel, the good news, out into the world. But then after he prays for himself and he prays for his disciples, then he prays for us, those who would come after the disciples, the church throughout The ages. And listen to what he says. In verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, not for the apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guys, that's us. We are all those who have come to know Jesus through the message of the apostles. Through the New Testament. That's us. So wrap your minds around this. Shortly before Jesus goes to the cross... Who's on his mind? We are. Now, you've probably heard that before, but we're not just on his mind because he wants to save us and deliver us from sin. We're definitely on his mind because of that. But we're also on his mind because he's got a job for us to carry out. He's going to pray that we carry out that responsibility. And I think that's pretty cool because this lets us know that Jesus believes in us. At the last church I served before I came here, I was in like my first year of ministry there, and this older gentleman in the church was sick and he was taken to the hospital and I went late at night to check on him. And there was no one in the room but him. I walked in, we had a good conversation. Didn't really know him that well cuz again I was new to the church, but I prayed with him and I was getting ready to leave after saying amen. But I said amen and he didn't let go of my hand. He kept he kept holding my hand and I opened my eyes and his eyes were still shut. He's laying in a hospital bed and his eyes were still shut. And I thought, you know, what's going on? I was a little bit freaked out. But then, he started to pray himself. And you know, he didn't pray for his health. He didn't pray for his family or friends. He didn't pray for the doctors and nurses in the hospital. He didn't even pray, really, for the church. You know what he prayed for? For me. And he started to pray, God, I want you to protect this young man. Because I believe He's here because you want him here. And Satan is going to try to attack him, and people are going to try to distract him, and our church is going through a lot of problems, and I just pray that you wrap your arms around him, that you show him your love, and that you encourage him as he serves you. And when that man got finished praying, I had tears running down my my face. I was kind of overwhelmed. I said, you did not have to do that. And he looked at me and he said, Chad, I believe in you. Not because of your abilities or your talents, but I believe in you because your focus is on Jesus, and I don't want anyone to distract you from that focus, and that's why I prayed for you. As a young preacher, I needed to hear that. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's praying for us, the church, because He believes in us. He believes we can carry out the mission that He's leaving us. And he doesn't want anything to distract us. So look at what he goes on to say, verse 21. After he prays that we, for those who will believe on him because of the apostles' preaching and message, he says that all of them, this is us, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus believes in us. And he doesn't want anything to distract us. Notice what he says. He prays that through the church, he will continue to make his Father known to the world. That through the church, his love and his presence will be made known. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not just a huge compliment to us. That's also a responsibility of seismic proportions. Jesus has huge expectations for us. And that's why I often tell people, Jesus didn't save us just so we could get fire insurance. And what I mean by that is Jesus didn't save us just so that we wouldn't go to hell. That's true. I do believe hell is a real place. And those who die outside of Jesus, that will be their destiny. I don't say that in any funny way. I mean, that's sad. It breaks my heart. I know it breaks God's heart. But Jesus did not save us just so that we could get fire insurance. He didn't save us just so that we wouldn't go to hell. He also saved us so that we could bring heaven to earth. He also saved us so that we can make a difference in this world. We're His chosen instrument for unleashing the transforming power of God's love on His world. Now, I know that's a huge responsibility. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's great and everything, but that's a pretty big prayer. I mean, that's a huge responsibility. But see, here's the thing. Jesus didn't say we had to do it on our own. Because with our own strengths and our own abilities and our own resources, we can't do it. We're weak, we're imperfect. There's no way we can carry out this task that Jesus has entrusted us with. But Jesus promises to empower us so that we can do what we can't do on our own. That's why when he ends the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yes, the task before us is greater than any of us, but it's not greater than the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And when we let him lead, he will do things within us and among us that we could not do on our own. He will take us to places that we never dreamed of. He will work within us. He will work within us in ways beyond our imaginations. But the key is are we letting him lead? So let me ask you a few questions. First of all, is Jesus changing you? And notice I didn't say, or didn't ask you to ask your, your, yourself, um, basically, has He changed me? Like, past tense. I want you to ask yourself, is Jesus changing me? Like, is He still in the process of changing Because He should be. Remember that passage that we read earlier from 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.18? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember that word grow is in the ongoing tense, and Peter is writing to people who have already accepted Jesus. See, we are to be... Always growing, growing to know Him more. We are to continue to grow and know Jesus, both Lord and Savior. And as we do, He continues to change us every single day. And the more He transforms us, the more we become like Him, the more excited we get about His mission and His plan. Because here's the thing, how can I motivate someone else to live for Jesus when I'm not living that life myself? That's why in Jesus' prayer, He says in verse 20, John 17, My prayer is not for them alone, not for the apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message. The only way that the world is going to know who Jesus is, who God is, is if we continue to share His message. So let me ask, do you get excited to talk about Jesus? Because here's something I've noticed about myself. I love to talk about the things I love. I'm not sure if you've noticed this already or not, but I love to talk about my family. You asked me about Allison or the kids, Alex or Eddie, I love to talk about my family. In fact, Allison was in a store here in Owasso just the other day, and somehow she started talking about being from Kentucky, and they said, well, our new preacher's from Kentucky, and she's like, well, I'm his wife, so they uh, they met one another, and this person in the store was just like, well, he talks about you guys all the time. There's a reason, I love my family, I love Allison. I love my kids, and so I don't have to make up things to say about them. You ask me about Allison or Alex and Addie, I can talk all day about them. That's why I mention them so much in sermons. You ask me about Kentucky basketball, I can can hold my own when it comes to talking about UK basketball. And by the way, we won yesterday going to the Sweet 16. I am pumped. You guys do not care, but that's all right. I'm excited, and I can't wait to see what they do. I love to talk about Kentucky basketball. And you know, in the earliest days of the church... Christians were really excited to talk about Jesus. So excited that in Acts chapter 4, some of the authorities come to them and say, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. In fact, if you talk about Jesus, we're going to punish you. You're going to get in big time trouble if you talk about Jesus. And you know how the early Christians responded in Acts 4 verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard Jesus was changing their lives, and because of that, they could not stop talking about Him. And what's interesting is, Jesus' earliest followers, they started out with the 12 disciples, then they grew to 120 in the upper room, then to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost when the church began. Shortly after that, their number grew to 5,000, and then by the end of the book of Acts, Jesus is being preached all over the world. Why? Because the early Christians were excited to talk about Jesus and that excitement was contagious. And sometimes in the church, I think we have the mindset that in order to change the world, we need all these great programs and activities and events and there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Those things can be great venues for showing somebody the love of God. But really, I believe the church is at its best when each individual member of the church is just so excited about Jesus, they can't help but talk about Him. And they share Him one-on-one with the people they encounter on a daily basis. I've mentioned before that I had a weekend preaching ministry while I was in college and while I was there for four years I went to a funeral one day and I met this man, his name was Henry. I didn't know him that well but come to find out he had a family that went to the church where I was preaching and so I introduced myself and as soon as he found out I was the preacher of the church where his family went, he didn't, he didn't want anything to do with me. He hadn't been in church since he was a kid and he didn't want anything to do with organized church and so he was very cold to me. But then I noticed that he had a case pocket knife. He pulled out a knife for some reason and used it. And so I noticed his knife. And I said, well, hey, you like case knives? I kind of like case knives, too. Well, he just then opened up. And he talked to me for like an hour about case pocket knives. I wasn't that interested in case knives. But still, he just kept talking about them. I was, was like, which ones do you have? And I'm like, well, I only have like two or three. He said, I've got over 100. He was a big collector. And so we started to talk about case knives. And that was it. I saw him about a week later and mentioned case knives again. He talked to me for another half an hour about case knives. I saw him again a little bit later, and we had another conversation about case knives. And all of a sudden, one Sunday, he showed up to church with his family. hadn't been in church since he was a kid. He sat there through the whole service, the sermon, and afterwards, I made a beeline in his direction because I wanted to talk to him. And I walked up to him. You know what? After service, we stood there on the front porch of the church, and we talked about case knives. And so then he went home, came back the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and every, I kid you not, almost every single Sunday after church, we had a conversation about case knives. And then one Sunday, as we're talking on the front porch of the church, first about Case Knives, then he transitions. You know, you said something in your sermon that I really liked. And he quoted something I said. So then I talked to him a little bit about Jesus. It was like 30 seconds worth, maybe. He went home. The next time he came, we talked about Case Knives again. Then we talked a little bit more about church and Jesus. He was getting more and more excited about coming to church to the point to where our conversations became less and less about Case Knives and more and more about stuff that mattered. And one day I called him up on the phone. And I said, Henry, what are you going to do about this man, Jesus? I can tell you're excited about him. What are you going to do about him? He said, well, I, I don't know. And he kind of mumbled. And I said, do you want to get baptized today? I'm on the phone with him. I just I took a shot. He said, if you come here right now, I'll do it. I got in my car and I was headed in that direction. He called his family and friends. We went to the church building. We we baptized him that day. And from that point on, you know what? I don't think we had another conversation about case knives. He got so excited about Jesus. He was inviting his friends. He was inviting his family. And I found out later. I left that church, but I found out later he became a leader in that church, and he was a huge influence in that community. And I called him a couple of years after that and talked to him. And he said, "You know, Chad, if I had died, and a preacher stood up and." did my eulogy You know he'd probably talk about how I liked or I love my family and all my different hobbies and stuff, but really, the only thing he would have said that I was passionate about would have been case-knives. I'm like, "Yeah, I know. we had a bunch of conversations. I know." <laughs> he said, "But now if somebody and talked about me, they wouldn't even mention case knives, but they would talk about how passionate I am about Jesus. I could see such a change in his life. And I wonder this morning, do you need that change? We're not done. I've got a few more questions I want to ask you. But what's interesting is, Henry told me that he just needed the opportunity. He just needed someone to give him the opportunity. So if you've been thinking about being baptized, keep in mind, we're going to give you guys a great opportunity on Easter Sunday. Three o'clock on our patio, we're going to have water out there, and we're going to have a time that if anybody wants to come and get baptized, you're welcome to do so. We'll have staff and elders here, and we're looking forward to that day. Sometimes, People just need an opportunity. Have you been thinking about you need that opportunity? Keep in mind what we're going to do here on Easter. But if you want to do it today, don't, don't put it off. Because once you get excited about Jesus, it is contagious. And I saw that in Henry's life. Another question I want you to ask yourself is this. Who lives near me I can love? In John 17, verse 23, it says, I in them and you in me, Jesus says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, we're supposed to be sharing God's love with the world. But one thing I have to continually ask myself is, how intentional am I about this? Because sometimes I know I pass by people who need to experience God's love because I'm simply not paying attention. And I wonder who's close to you right now, in your family, among your circle of friends, at work, wherever, who you could show Jesus' love to. Now, I know the people closest to us sometimes are hard to love uh, because they know us and they see us every day. But this is what I always tell myself. God doesn't love me because because I'm easy to love. He loves me because I need to be loved. There are people around you right now who need to be loved. We're not called to fix people. Jesus does that. We're just called to introduce people to Him, so that He can come into their lives. We're just called to love people, show people His love, and be intentional about that. So it's getting warm outside, the next time you grill out, invite some of your neighbors over. I'm not saying get them there, feed them, and then you have them trapped, and so you then force Jesus on them. I'm not saying that. But invite them over, once, twice, two or three times. Maybe there will be an open door for you to invite them to Easter, or invite them to church for some occasion. Or maybe just talk to them about spiritual matters. Next time you bake a pie, bake a second pie and bring it to a neighbor or a co Bring it to me if you want to. No, I'm kidding. Uh, just bring it to someone. Those little acts of kindness can be open doors for you to show somebody the love of Jesus. Next time you mow your yard, mow your neighbor's yard too. Especially, again, if you live beside me. I hate to mow my yard. But, you know, take care of people. Show people the kindness of, of God maybe it'll open a door. It's March Madness right now. I love March Madness. This is my favorite time of year. Invite someone over to watch the game with you. There's so many opportunities, and right now this is the perfect time of year because studies show more people come to church during the Christmas and Easter seasons than any other time in the year. So this is a perfect opportunity where you can say, hey, join me for Easter Sunday at First Church. But who lives near you who you need to love? Third question I want you to ask, am I sold out to the mission Jesus has given the church? In John 17, verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, speaking to his Father, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Jesus prays for his church to be one, to be unified. To have the same vision, to have the same purpose, to be working for the same cause. And when the church is unified, it is an unstoppable force. And I want you to notice something about Jesus' words. Jesus implies here that the salvation of the world is dependent upon the church being unified in His purpose. See, sadly, many Christians in our culture today see the church as just something extra, it's like an appendix. You know, I can, I can worship God on my own. I don't need the church. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches that the church is crucial to God's plan for this world. And I think that's why Satan wants to keep us divided. That's why Satan wants to keep us fighting. That's why Satan wants to keep us arguing and complaining. Because Jesus says in Luke eleven seventeen, 17, a house divided against itself will fall. When we come to church and we push our own personal agendas and opinions, we hold the church back from accomplishing what God is calling us to accomplish. God wants us, you and me, first church, to be a church that rallies around His vision for the church, that's sold out to His mission of doing whatever it takes to multiply in others the life that He has multiplied in us. And then the last question I want you to ask is, am I ever guilty of limiting God? Verse 21, Jesus says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you get that? Jesus praying for the entire world here. This is a seismic prayer. This is a huge prayer. It's a big prayer. He wants the entire world to come and know Him. No one left out. And He gives that responsibility, He entrusts that responsibility to us. He has great expectations for us. He believes the church can make a difference of seismic proportions in His world. Let me make it a little bit more personal. Jesus believes in first church. He believes that first church can make a difference of seismic proportions in northeast oklahoma throughout the 918 and let me make it even more personal he believes in you and he believes in me he believes that you can make a difference of seismic proportions in the life of your neighbor in the life of your family member in the life of your coworker in the life of your teammate In the life of your peer in school. See, sometimes I think the church is unable to carry out the plan that God wants it to carry out. Because our faith is too small. We pray too small. We limit God and we just do what we can do within our own abilities, within our own strength. And we don't trust Him to use us in ways beyond our own resources. Andrew Murray once wrote, Beware in your prayers above everything of limiting God. Remember that God, the one who holds the cosmos in his hands, he has the desire and passion to partner with you and with me to change the world. And if he's on our side, as Paul writes, who can stand against us? My family, they love going to the zoo. Back when we lived in Kentucky, there were two zoos that were within an hour of us, and we would go visit those zoos. Here, there's a zoo just right down the road, like 15 minutes in Tulsa, and we love it. Uh, So far, I've only been with them once, but Allison's been with the kids several times to the zoo. You know, she gets to go during the week where I'm, you know, working, but I'm not bitter or anything. But still, uh, my family, they love the, the zoo. She works. She works a lot. I don't want to say anything bad about her. But back in Kentucky, I would go with them a couple times to the zoo, you know, whenever I could. But they went a lot more than I did. And But the first time that they went to the zoo, uh, you know, last year, and the season first opened, I went with them. And I was so excited because I love spending time with my kids, love spending time with Allison. And so we're going to the zoo, and we came up to the elephant exhibit. And some of you know about me, for some reason, I love elephants. I don't know why. I don't know because they're just so big and huge and massive. I'm not sure why, but I just like the elephants. I think they're pretty cool. I can just stand there and watch them forever. And so we were coming up on the elephant exhibit, and I've got Alex by the hand, and Allison has Addie And all of a sudden, he stops. And I was like, come on, buddy, we're going to see the elephants. And he is fixated on something. And so I turned to look and see what he's looking at, and he's watching some squirrels on the sidewalk. Now, these weren't exotic squirrels. These weren't squirrels on display at the zoo. These were your average yard squirrels. Now, I know you don't have as many squirrels in Oklahoma than we do in Kentucky, but we have tons of squirrels in Kentucky. I had like three dozen families living in my backyard of squirrels. We have tons of squirrels. He could have seen them any day of the week, and yet he is fixated on these squirrels eating popcorn that somebody dropped on the sidewalk. And he's just watching them. I'm like, hey, buddy, come on. We're gonna go see the elephants. He said. Wait a second, let me look at these squirrels. I'm like, no, no, we're going to go see the elephants. He goes, Daddy, I can see elephants anytime. I was like, what? He's like, on TV, I can see elephants anytime. I was like, yeah, but they're here, they're alive. I've paid money for you to be here, come on. Let's go see these elephants. He's like, Daddy, I want to watch the squirrels. And eventually, I had to pick him up and carry him to go see the squirrels. May not. I mean, go see the elephants, sorry. He was seeing the squirrels. Maybe not have been, maybe it wasn't my best, you know, a moment as a parent but I'm thinking here I've paid for you to see elephants not squirrels and so I was going to make sure that we went and saw the elephant exhibit and I wonder honestly if God in a much more gracious way doesn't feel the same sometimes about us he looks at what the church is doing and says yeah that's great you guys are active and you're meeting but I didn't die for you to play it safe I didn't die for you just to do things that you could do without me. I didn't die so you could just do things within your own ability and strength. I didn't die so you could just show up to a service on a Sunday. I died so that you could change the world. I died so that you could bring heaven to earth. I died so that your neighbor your family member, your coworker, whoever, they'll never be the same because you introduce them to the love of Jesus. See, we often ask people, Do you believe in God? I think sometimes we need to ask, Do you believe God believes in you? Because He does. And I think sometimes He's saying, I paid for you to see elephants, not squirrels. I want first church to be known as a church. That people look at us and say, there's no way they could do what they're doing unless God is with them. And I want people to be able to say the same thing in your life. What it takes is for us to let Him actually be our Lord and lead us where He wants us to go. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for this time we've had to meet together as Your people. And we just pray that we will live with you as Lord. That wherever you say go, we will go. Wherever you lead, we will follow. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room today that needs to follow you into a relationship with Jesus, they will come and talk to us about that. Maybe something that they need to keep thinking about. Keep thinking about it. We're two weeks away from Easter. Maybe that'll be the day. On the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that they're resurrected, and they come to saving faith in Him. Father, I just pray for this church and I pray that we will be a church that doesn't get fixated on squirrels but that goes and sees the elephants, that does things that only you can take credit for. I lift up this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.